I'm Sarah Resnick. And I'm LaShawn Moore. And we are the hosts of the Weave Podcast, a project of the weaving yarn shop, Just Yarn and Fiber. This week on the podcast, I'm thrilled to welcome Liz Gibson back on. Liz is a well-known and beloved weaver, author, and teacher, and the founder of Yarnworker.com, and a rigid heddle teacher extraordinaire. I first had her on the podcast about a year ago, and after that conversation, we got to scheming about a collaboration that we've called the Weaver's Playbox, which is filled with yarn and project inspiration and helpful tips that are especially for beginning and intermediate rigid heddle weavers. So we launched that first Playbox last winter and had lots of fun seeing what lots of you were making from it, and we are excited to be launching our next one this August coming up in a couple weeks. And so on today's episode, we're going to dive more into Liz's weaving and teaching journey, what new projects she's up to, and all about her design process for that play box. Welcome to the podcast, Liz. I'm so happy to have you back on. I am thrilled to be back. And congratulations for your second anniversary. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Thank you very much. So for those listeners who didn't hear our first episode with you or who are not familiar with your work, can you start out by introducing yourself and talking about your path towards weaving and why you fell in love with the Rigid Heddle Loom? Yeah, sure. Um, Let's see if I can, uh, I'll offer a a crash because I know some folks have already heard the story, but I was exposed to weaving um, as a as a child in, uh, my mom was an occupational therapy aide at the university of Virginia hospital on the psychiatric ward and Cindy Lally ran the ward and I was graciously allowed to go in there. And it just stuck with me my whole life. Um, the fact of, of weaving as a path to, to well-being, but also just peace and calm and, um, and yet excitement and stimulation and all those things. And Cindy was just, you know, when you're a kid, there's some people that stick in your head and I just thought she was the coolest. So when it came time for me to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up, I was I was very fortunate as a kid to have lots of varied experiences. I thought of Cindy. I had seen other work, Camp Hill, where they'd done um, sheltered workshops. And I thought this would be a cool path. But uh, so I went to CSU. I grew up in Virginia. Went to CSU to check out their occupational therapy program. And it it really turned out not to be an option for me because weaving and OT didn't have that much to do with each other. And I didn't get in the first time. So there's that. <laughs> so, you know, life is, you know, I think it's John Lennon. He said life is what happens when we're busy making other plans. So despondently, I, I found myself in the um, social economics program where they had a, a bit of a self-designed program. I'd already been fortunate enough to join a minor in fiber arts with Tom Lumberg so that the, they had a fiber arts program too. So I was exposed to art weaving, you know, the weaving as a, so I've been doing this functional weaving and running around after sheep. And, and then there was this art weaving and uh, I was doing a self-design course in value-added agriculture, looking more at garden gate processes. So all this is swirling around, went to New Zealand, studied wool science, worked on the reservation, the Navajo reservation on a goat project and, um, you know, ended up with a degree and was working, I worked on a, uh, alpaca farm and, um, was doing some art education program and just landed in interweave. That was what really, I think, cemented my journey, um, starting as assistant editor of spinoff 
magazine and then eventually on Handwoven magazine because I learned a lot about the editorial process and it was at that time I started teaching. So crafting education is as much of a craft work as weaving itself. And so learning how to craft content for your audience um, was really thrilling for me. Um, and that has sort of been the journey that I've been on for nearly the last 20 years since then. So. And what is it that made you fall in love with rigid heddle weaving? Well, I, uh, people ask me all the time, what do you make? And, and I cheekily say weavers. <laughs> um, I think maybe it's the therapeutic environment that I was first started in and then later at Interweave where we were constantly talking about how do we bring new people into this world. And um, I was a floor loom weaver. I started as a floor loom weaver. I saw floor loom weaving and working with treadles and as sort of the penultimate weaving experience, but I struggled with it. I never really found my lane there. And um, the, the, the setup was long. I, my, I had so many ideas. And when I went back to the rigid huddle, loom because I had some experience there, it all clicked for me and I saw what a powerful, powerful, powerful tool it was for both education, entry level, but also for the kind of weaving I like to do, which is highly varied. You know, I'm not a production weaver. I'm not kind of making the same thing over and over and over again. And um, that ability to change up and and change my mind and do lots of different projects that the rigid huddle let me do was I just I found my muse and there I was <laughs> that's great and you started yarnworker.com which is lots of resources and help for rigid heddle weavers when did you start that and what kind of resources are available there and who's it good for tell us a little more about that yeah yarn yarnworker um started in 2013 and at the time, I was I had uh, left Shack Spindle, which is where I went after Shacked, and I was doing freelance work. Um, and I think I was working at Craftsy at the time. So during their startup, they were uh, I worked with them getting their spinning and weaving content off the ground. And um, I just wanted a home for that teaching weaving life that I had, and and sort of from my editorial bent was wanted a, a place for I, that I could hang out in in the vastness of the internet but also a place where I could pull together rigid huddle resources so I started yarn worker kind of thinking at the time you know I was producing some rigid huddle classes with other weavers and I thought you know there aren't enough patterns maybe I'll you know publish some patterns help other people publish patterns and it's just sort of putting all the resources in one place and um, and fiddled with it. I, I started a blog. I got a newsletter and started sending out a regular newsletter. Um, and it's just grown from there. So, um, you know, the resources you can find there, I have weaving terminology because that's a big stumbling block for people. I try to keep a fairly comprehensive list of resources. So that includes... Um, currently published or still available rigid huddle books, um, online classes, um, 
there's uh, websites, you know, Facebook groups, Ravelry groups, um, the currently manufactured rigid huddle looms, just sort of all in one place where people can find them. And then my own bibliography, so things that I've put out in the world. Um, and the blog, it's, it's a, a whole series of stuff, but I think the most popular thing on the blog is my geeking out series, which is really geeking out, I call it on something really specific. So maybe geeking out on warp beams and, and loom mechanics and, and some of that core know-how that we, you know, the, is the questions that I constantly get asked. So that's what I love about interacting with a group of weavers is they, they really feed me the content that they want <laughs> by continually asking questions. <laughs> Yes, there's really, there's so much helpful resources on your website and we recommend your site to literally every rigid huddle weaver that's looking for anything. We tell them to go look on your website for oh, it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so I encourage people who, if they have not, to definitely, to definitely go over there. And um, your like really deep commitment to deep education and resources was one of the reasons that I was so excited to get to collaborate with you. Um, on the Playbox, which we dreamed up after we started talking on our last podcast interview about a year ago. And I talked a little bit about it in the introduction, but really the goal is to bring together a bunch of different kinds of yarn. Um, our first box was all about what we love about wool, uh, and our next box coming up is about cotton and linen and making home textiles. And you put together these really comprehensive resources with all sorts of different kinds of suggestions of how people can combine the yarn in different ways so that they can learn different techniques and really push their own limits about what they understand and can do on their rigid head loom. So I'm wondering if you could talk about your design process for those boxes, because I know it's really in depth and it takes you many months. How do you go about deciding what to include and what not to include and what's that process? Well, it's, it's it, designing for education, um, is a little different for say designing for publication or designing, um, you know, a thing that, uh, inspires people to weave. I mean, I hope it still inspires people to weave, but there are a lot of both constraints, which I also find help you give a framework for where you start. So with the play box, when we started, I was just publishing a weaver's guide to yarn. And that, that was really a, 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 a bringing together of all of the yarn questions that I get asked because warping is a challenge for weavers, but rigid heddle right out of the box helps that because they're, it's so approachable, but yarn selection is, is basically the number two pain point. How do I know what kind of yarns to use? And so the play box approach was to take a playful way that people could take some of the fear out of yarn selection to get a box of yarns that typify different yarns they may want to use for a given set of parameters. In this case, we pick towels. And how do they know sort of what to use where? And so I wanted to look, you know, among your yarns, you have such a great variety of being able to say, here's here are these yarns and you can combine them in any which way and uh, come out with something that will work. And so from there, I start thinking about kind of the core know-how, which is my thing. And I really like to talk about 
know how sometimes when we talk about education, it can sound a little dry and it can sound like there's a lot of rules and that you should do it this way and you have to do it that way. And I really don't come from that place. You know, I come from the place of um, it's it's putting tools in your toolbox to be able to do what you want to do. And there's a, a, you know, just playing if it works and you like it, then it's fine. So when we look at towels in particular, or when we look at functional towels, which are, you know, functional textiles, which is really my wheelhouse and the kind of lane I stay in, you do have parameters where they need, you're going to wash and they're going to wash a lot. You need to wear a lot. They need to hold up to getting, getting sauce filled on them. You know, they're, they are meant to be, um, what is the term said? Worn, not worshipped. So, um, of course, we all know we give our beautiful hand towels to people <laughs> and they frame them on the wall and they never get used. <laughs> so, Biggest weaver pet peeve. <laughs> right, right. We use them. And, and one of the reasons I like weaving my own textiles, particularly for my home, is, you know, I live in a funky space and I need really specific measurements and things that fit my home or the, the color scheme in my home. So I, I have that control to be able to do that. So, so with the, the play box, I pick three warps and then I show you multiple ways of combining the yarns in the box to create a variety of textiles. And for me, um, unpacking all of that and, and, and thinking about the weaver who's going to be using them and the kinds of challenges they may run across just because I'm able to aggregate. I've been doing this for a long time. So I've been able to sort of aggregate and anticipate the kinds of questions that people have and either point them to resources that already exist or um, bake that pattern in because patterns themselves have limitations. And that was always my frustration or where I found magazines weren't my wheelhouse because and even books, because you have a finite amount of space, whereas um, a more dynamic, interactive kind of piece where you you have yarn selected and a pattern, and you know we have the Facebook group, you know, so you can you can get at some of those corners, and and because it's a PDF in the internet, I can expand it. You know, you could never publish a 12, 15 page you know article in a magazine, but you can certainly do that with a robust pattern. So it's not just here's the set and here's the specs and here's the weaving instructions. It's like, here are some of the core techniques that will help you make that thing. Yeah. yeah that's, that's one of the reasons I, I really love this, this collaboration that we have on our website. We publish a lot of patterns and it's lots of fun and people buy them and make them. And I think that what your, what your play box offers that's so different is it really teaches people how to think like weavers and how to take something and jump off with it and then you know dream up all of their own combinations so I, I like that about that a lot and you mentioned that you are often able to anticipate people's questions and I'm curious if you wanted to share one or two questions that you feel like this box really anticipates and helps those intermediate weavers address as they're thinking through towels yeah um so, so you know color is one um which isn't you know we have sort of a finite number of colorways but that helps people think about why i picked these colors you know it's not just because i like color x and color y 
it's because a lot of times to get definition within a textile, we need to pick colors that have good value contrast. And if, if there's nothing else, you know, weavers, not only do they stretch about yarn choice, but they stress about color choice. So color is personal. What we think is pleasing color can vary, but what we don't want to do is pick colors that become muddy in our fabric. Now, sometimes, I mean, there's sort of two core concepts I use, but contrast, value contrast, which is the relative lightness or darkness of a yarn. So you can have a, a, a light blue and a, a dark yellow, and that's what provides a good color contrast. So um, we, we touched on that a little bit in the wool play box with the tip of, you know, taking a photo and, and changing the saturation to nothing. To, and if you can still see the changes, if the two colors still look distinct in gray, most likely they're going to look distinct in your warp. So that's one. And then there's some, just some layout tips. You know, we, we sort of have the idea of creating some basic stripes and checks. Um, but what are some other ways that I can introduce stripes into my warp that make them look a little bit extra and a little bit special? Um, color transitions is a big one. So how do I um, transition from one color to the next as seamlessly so that um, I could decrease bulk and keep the integrity of the fabric? So those are trying to think of other, you know, we are tackling linen in this box. So I have a number of tips because, you know, your lovely linen has some cotton in it. So it's not cotton. Um, and we talk about that sort of the difference between cotton and a linen blend and how that can make it a, a, an easy introduction to creating linen textiles, which are sort of, in my mind, some of the penultimate um, weaving out there and uh, and sort of embracing the flaws you know weaving is such a linear craft that we can get really distracted by perfection the the fact that you know our edges need to be straight and things shouldn't pucker and and i resist a little bit of that as as we all know if if we do something consistently it looks like we meant to do it on purpose <laughs> So, um, but we want to learn as we're doing it, maybe the next time, how could I do it better? But, but to take some of that, um, you know, less, less fuss and more fun in, into the process. Cause we do this for pleasure. Um, we're, we're not doing it to torture ourselves. <laughs> indeed. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So you talked a little bit about some of the fibers in there. So we have, um, five different kinds of yarn, there's um, different kinds of cotton and linen blends as well as different kinds of 100% cottons. And I'm curious, um, and one of the really neat things about the towels that you make is that many of them blend different kinds of fibers and yarns together, which is definitely something that I hear people being nervous about. So how do you help people think through what they can learn about um, combining different kinds of fibers together in towels? And some of that, so so when we're combining the work, and um, it, some of it depends on how pucker averse you are, how much you want it, how much you don't want it. And if you weave with linen, you know, if you've ever worn linen, you know it wrinkles and that, you know, it's, it's not likely that you're going to pull your linen towels out of the washer and press them every time. 
So we embrace some of that, uh, the concept of wabi-sabi, which is a, a sort of a, a Japanese concept of let it be. Um, and so I think about them in terms of if I leave, if I can dial in my set, and which is I've done for you, and I have put together um, yarns that share certain properties, then they will complement each other and not work against each other. So part of the Playbox experience is when I introduce the five yarns, I talk about their characteristics in terms of their ply, in terms of their base substance, um, in, in terms of you know, what they bring to the cloth. And so if you, if you think about it that way, then you can combine those yarns. Um, for instance, like we have an unmercerized and a slub. Well, in laundering, I should say laundering plays a role in that too, because um, you know, the more you wash and dry, the more you wash and dry, you know, they're gonna take up and shrink differently, but they're part of this uniform cloth. You've put them in warp and weft, and that's, that grid actually aids you in some of their stability. So that's another reason why the play box takes some of the, the pain out of it. There, there may be some, as I said, some personal predilections. And so if that's where you want things to be perfectly flat, and then you know you may want to put light yarns with light yarns or all one yarn in the warp and all one yarn in the weft, and then you'll get more uniformity. And so I have, I have examples in the box that are both it on the loom and finished so that weavers can see um, at least in print, what that looks like in, in one scenario. Yeah. We, we got in our studio, we got your towel samples a couple weeks ago, and it was really fun to pull them out of the box and to see the wide range of different designs and styles that you accomplished on the rigid heddle loom. Most of them were from, as we were talking about, combining different kinds of yarn and different kinds of colors and textures into your towels. And then there was one also that includes a different technique with, with pickup. Um, and I loved just the wide variety that you made from the one loom and the five kinds of yarn um, because people really often think of a rigid heddle loom as being confined to something simple and as you make abundantly clear that's entirely not true. <laughs> so I'm, I'm curious in general you know how you help rigid heddle weavers think about designing more complicated looking project looking projects with different fibers different colors different techniques um wh where do you recommend that they start and then keep going with their journey well some of this has been um it's you know we i launched the yarn worker school i think the same month that just launched so um i, I feel like we're kin in that in that launching launching sisters um and, and part of the work of the Yarn Workers School that sort of happened serendipitously is to, to sort of systematically take weavers through that process. So um, in, in the sense that it really depends on your goal. And I go back to stressing ourselves, you know, we, we think we need to master all the skills in order to be a weaver and in order to create beautiful textiles. And I think it depends on what kind of weaver you are you know, if you're really intrigued by structures and, um, you know, double weave and twills and, you know, which are, are sort of, I'd say, uh, what, I don't know if the word is mid-grade, but, you know, we sort of we have plain weave. Then you have all these pickup patterns where you can have interlacements. You can do two heddles. You can have three heddles. You can translate drafts. And, 
And sometimes we get distracted by that work because we think that's where we need to hang out in that lane. And, and I encourage weavers to take a step back and say, what is it that I really like to make? I mean, is this an intellectual challenge where I'm really trying to, I, I love that idea of interlacement. So it's more about thinking about what kind of weaver you are, or am I trying to make, do I love the process of weaving? Am I picking um, materials and colors? And, and that is a, a continuum that's existed in the weaving world forever. I wrote a blog post um, and, and I'll include a link to this in the podcast because it's a variation of a question I get. When do I know if I need a floor loom, right? When am I going to reach the limits of my rigid huddle loom? And my, my simple answer is you never have to get a floor loom. You will never reach the limits, but it depends on how you like to weave. So, um, and it depends on what kind of weaver you really are. So we deal with that sort of handwork stuff maker, which, you know, I tend to be in that hand and then they're sort of melding the perfect structure and, and yarn and et cetera. And then there are folks who just really want to dive into structures and, you know, make that work. So. At the Yarn Worker School, this has been a year, years of process. We started with Weaving 101, which deals with all the, you know, warping and weaving and beginning and feet and edges. And, and then um, Weaving 201 is about color work. So that's sort of more where we hang out in the boxes too, where we're dealing with, okay, I've done that. I've got a solid warp and a solid weft, but now I want to add multiple colors in my warp and weft. And these are skills that all weavers need. You know, how do I put more colors in the warp? And so um, particularly those pesky odd numbered ends, you know, the rigid huddle loom and the direct warping method where most people begin, you deal with a paired system. So you're always pulling through these loops. Well, a lot of color and weave or pick up patterns where, that use color, you need to have a single end of yarn. And that's where the direct method can get challenging. So in color work, we deal with two alternative methods but then I'm just releasing to the public. So I have a patron community that supports this. We just tackled an indirect warping seminar where we dealt with how to, which is what most weavers think of as warping, right? Using a warping board. We tackled that three ways. So there's all these more skills that you can use. And then I'm working on right now, um, patrons are gonna get an early release in August of a pickup class where we're really breaking that over under structure. But more than that, that class is beginning to peel back the layers about the relationships between shafts and drafts and the rigid huddle. Not, not that answer in general, that is weaving 401. <laughs> so um, I'm not sure that exactly asked your question, but it's a journey that we travel, um, you know, and it's not a destination. Yeah. Absolutely. So you've you've touched a, a bit on some upcoming projects, but I'm sure curious if you want to share some of the things in the future for you that you're most excited about. Well, the pickup class is a big one, and I'm I you know they take me a long time to think about how best to dive into the work, and I'm so excited to do that indirect class with with this group of weavers because they were just primed and ready for it. And then we're continuing the weave along, so the weave alongs are free and open and. Um, the patron community needs to vote on the next one. So I'm not exactly sure what the next ones are, but once we get past the class, they're going to vote on that. And, um, you know, it's just keeping the school going. And, and part of that is a conversation in community with the patron community that's helped make that work. 
Um, so just staying in dialogue and, and, and figuring out where we want to go next as a, as a group. Um, and if people yeah. want to join this said group, how <laughs> can they be part of your community? Yeah. So the patron community is, it's, you know, two years ago I launched and it's ever evolving. So um, at Patreon forward slash Liz Gibson, um, uh, there's, the, you know, there, there's different levels. So the way they work, patronage is like a good old fashioned uh, patronage model where, you know, there's an artist, if you will, I hate labels. I like to think of myself as a guide and um, they offer small monthly pledges to sort of keep the work going. And so that's open to everyone. I think some of the higher levels are um, maxed out, but there's an entry level that's open to anyone. Um, and you don't have to be a patron to participate in the Weave Alongs, to take a class, to do any of that. Um, you can go to yarnworkerschool.com and see all the classes, see past Weave Alongs. The deal with the Weave Alongs is that they're free while they're active and ongoing. So if you hop on my mailing list, you can sign up. I'll let you know when the next Weaving Along comes in. The patron group is more of a, you know, we have a Facebook group. Um, you get patron posts. We do early releases. Um, you know, the patron producers have a say. So it's just a little bit more of an intimate group while I'm doing the work. Yeah. And yeah, I've resisted starting a full on membership site, you know, which may be because what I don't want to do is put everything behind a screen. Um, that just doesn't feel right to me right now. And it makes me feel like I'm back on a publishing schedule, whereas this feels more interactive and gives me a little bit more freedom to um, create content where I think it's going to be of most use. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and that may be a mental block on my edge. I don't know. I, I love this kind of way of working. <laughs> I think it also, to me, the way you describe it makes it feel more like a community, right? And many of us yeah. weavers live in places where we don't have dozens of weavers in our community physically that we can interact with. But I really love the way that you cultivate that sense with your people. And it's, it's a specific kind of community. I do have to say, because we focus on one thing at a time, some of the things with some of the groups is there's so much going on, you know, and I think they're awesome. I mean, like, this is just one way to do it. But what I love about it and what I think makes it different is that we, we focus on one thing at a time, although there's all these opportunities to sort of get your stuff up to speed. So we're all going to do this one thing, then we're all going to do another thing. But because the classes are there, if you feel like you need skill building in a certain area, you can go take a class and then we jump into sort of these double weave and twills and two heddles and, you know, things that take more support, but we do, so we do it together. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. Where can people find you on social media and on the internet if they're not already following you? Um, Yarnworker.com is my home base. So there's links to everything. I, I'm, I have mostly Facebook and Instagram and Pinterest. So Facebook, I tend, I'm a little bit of a, a, a weaving geek. So my Facebook page, the Armworker page, I share just weaving things that delight me. So a lot of it is not just like, oh, here's all the stuff going on in my world. I like to share stuff from the larger weaving world and a really broad strokes from technology to international to cultural weaving. Um, the, my Instagram is more like what's on my loom. This is what I'm weaving right now. My stories are, you know, my daily journey. And then Pinterest, um, I just try to curate more um, 
groups of weaving as Pinterest is so good at, you know, it's more of a visual, um, yeah, search engine. So, yes. Yeah, it sure is. You've given so much advice throughout this whole episode, but do you have any bit of closing advice or words of wisdom that you want to share for weavers or wannabe weavers out there? Um, I think I have two things to say. One is, you know, stay curious and keep exploring. There are, there are so many ways to be a weaver. So don't get discouraged if you start going down a path and you feel like, oh, this doesn't feel right. For me, there is a tribe out there that that suits you. That is, you know, you may be an art weaver. You know, you want a more freestyle approach, and and that's not say where your local guild is. Then you can find those people. So really know that um, because of the interconnectivity of the web, that that you can find your tribe. And to just not let anyone discourage you from that path. And most importantly, I think the second thing is yourself. Don't let yourself discourage you. You're going to mess up. You're going to, I'm air quoting, which you can't see. You're going to waste yarn. You know, it's not going to be perfect. Um, and that, that is, is part of the journey and it, and it's, it's okay. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for coming back on the podcast and also for working on this collaboration with us. I'm so excited to put it out in the world later on in August for people to get to play with. It has been my supreme pleasure and it's just, um, it's just been fabulous to work with you and the rest of the team. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Next week on the podcast, LaShawn is talking with a close friend of hers and former schoolmate, Miriam Vegara, a Brooklyn-born Mexican-American textile artist and educator. In their conversation, they talk about her recent residency in Sweden, as well as her ancestral connection to textile making and processing. Stay tuned for that episode next week, and until next time, happy weaving! Happy weaving!